Welcome to episode 2 of The Plot, a co-promotion of Odessa Steps Magazine and WhenItWasCool.com. I'm your host, Mark Cole, editor and publisher of Odessa Steps Magazine and host of the Winter Palace Podcast. Today we're looking at one of the most famous heist comedies in film history, 1951's The Lavender Hill Mob, directed by Charles Crichton and starring Alec Guinness, Stanley Holloway, Sid James, and Alfie Bass. Not only is this still regarded as one of the greatest British comedies ever made, it also won a number of awards, including an Academy Award and a BAFTA. Although the opening credits show London and the Bank of England, the film actually starts in Rio de Janeiro, where we see Henry Holland, played by Guinness, lavishly giving away stacks of money, first to a socialite for her charity, a winning jockey on whom he has bet, and a young ingenue named Chiquita, an early film role for the legendary Audrey Hepburn. Holland is entertaining another British gentleman at his table and saying the last year here has been something he has always dreamed about but never thought could happen. This leads us to the flashback that starts our plot in earnest. Holland is a junior clerk at the Bank of England and his main job, as we soon learn, is to escort gold bullion from the refinery where the bars are cast to the bank via armored car. Holland is a fastidious type, looking right at home in his traditional banker's bowler hat and wire-rimmed glasses. But even as his superiors dismiss him as having no imagination, he has secretly been plotting on robbing the gold for almost 20 years. He only needs the last piece of his plan to come together, and that's how to get the gold out of the country. That comes with a meeting a new lodger in his apartment building, Alfred Pendlebury, played by Holloway, a would-be artist who just happens to own a foundry that makes cheap souvenirs that are made in London but exported abroad to places like Paris. As they are touring Pendlebury's factory, watching the workers cast miniature Eiffel Towers Holland has his eureka moment about how to get the gold out of England. He soon gets Pendlebury on board, but they realize that they need a gang, so they recruit them in the most imaginative way possible. They go around town discussing how the payroll in Pendlebury's safe is at risk since the lock on the factory's window is broken. With the bait laid out, the two men camp out inside the office waiting to see who shows up for the job. And that's when they end up meeting Lockery, Sid James, and Shorty, Alfie Bass. Don't shoot, Governor. Don't shoot. I won't give no trouble. Please don't be hard on me. I've got a wife and six kids. I've never done nothing like this before. Is that true? Yes, Governor. I'm on the level. May I drop dead if I lie? I've been honest all my life. It was just a temptation. This is your first crime? Yes, Gov, I swear it. And I'll never go wrong no more. 
Suppose we asked you to do a job for us. I'll do it. That's all. I want a chance to turn an honest penny. Well, supposing it wasn't exactly an honest penny. Careful now, careful. We don't want anyone who's going straight. In any case, we need someone far bigger. Mm. Such as me? Who, Who are you? you? Oh, take those things away. I'm not hungry. Name a lackery wood, otherwise known as Sort of Steve, the Wandsworth boy. Two convictions for housebreaking, one for larceny of the person, total 18 months only and 10 years' work. There are some cuttings if you'd like to see them. How long have you been here? Just long enough to hide when I heard you coming in. Thought I'd been taken for a mud. Me. What's the job? Useful. <laughs> are you alone? Never worked nothing else but single-handed. Sensible. Very sensible. Just the same yourself. Kept on me Jack Jones ever since Nobby Curtis got me done for that job at Bellamy's. Bellamy's in Bromley? That's right. Last June, 12 months. I was casing that joint the night you got pinched. Well, what do you know? I'm Shorty Fisher. Ah, nice to meet you. <laughs> Excuse nice to meet me, I, I may be slow, but do I understand that you two are, in fact, both professional criminals? Well, what else do you take us for? Ruddy snoopers? All right, what's your setup? Just a moment, Pendlebury. We require a team, and if these two gentlemen insist on working alone... Oh, now, wait a minute. You make it worth our while, Cock. We're working with a band of oak, eh, Shorty? You said it. Well, in that case, if, uh, if you would both join us in the office, my friend Mr. Holland will outline what we have in mind. Their plans have to be expedited when Holland gets an unwanted promotion at work and the job has to be pulled this week. Of course, Holland's plan doesn't go 100% as he dreamed it up, but the gang does end up with their million pounds worth of gold. That's a million pounds in money, not a million pounds in weight. But they still have to get it out of the country and turn it into the paperweights and find a buyer. All of that takes the rest of the year, but eventually they are all ready to finally get the payoff when the gang goes to Paris. All the meanwhile, the police have been working all this time to break the case, and as the star witness, Holland has to keep cooperating with him as to not arouse suspicion. Holland and Pendlebury go to Paris, but without Lackery and Shorty, and they stop by one of the souvenir stands at the Eiffel Tower to check on the merchandise, and that's when they find things have started to go wrong. One of the specially marked crates of paperweights, the ones containing the gold statues, have accidentally been opened, and six of the real gold Eiffel Towers have just been sold to British schoolgirls. They try to get them back before the girls return to London, but they are unable. Of course they aren't. They manage to track the girls down and recover five of the six statues, but the last girl refuses to sell her statue since she was planning on giving it to a friend. And as she leaves school to deliver it, the two men follow her, only to find out that her friend is a policeman and just happens to be part of a police department open house going on that afternoon. She gives the policeman the statue, but in a fit of panic, Pendlebury grabs the statue, and the chase is on. Pendlebury gets caught, but Holland escapes. Which brings us back to Rio as Holland finishes off his story. But his companion says it's time to go, and as they stand up, we see they are handcuffed. And we now recognize him as the lieutenant in charge of the case. The film ends with them on the way back to England, Holland having spent all of his plunder in the last year abroad. Of course, it's important to realize at the time this is before the re relaxation of the censorship codes in films and 
guys were not bad guys were not allowed to get away with crimes in the movies or on television. So you often see things with a framing device where you can take the whole of the movie where the villain gets away only to have a framing device that explains how they were caught and punished. You can noticeably see this happen a lot on the old Alfred Hitchcock television show. Uh, probably most notably the episode Lamb to the Slaughter. That's the one where the woman kills her police officer husband with a leg of a frozen leg of lamb and then serves it to the police when they come to investigate. That ends with Hitchcock explaining how she is eventually caught, but you don't see that in the main body of the story. That was the one way that creators were sort of able to get her to do a workaround on that. The Lavender Hill Mob was made by Ealing Studios, which opened in 1982 and is still the oldest currently operating cinema film studio. They are probably best known for what we now call the Ealing Comedies, which were made after World War II from around 1947 until 1957, and include such films as Kind Hearts and Coronets, The Man in the White Suit, and The Lady Killers. All three of those starred Guinness. It was directed by Ealing regular Charles Crichton, who you may know now for his two Oscar nominations for A Fish Called Wanda in 1986, which he directed when he was in his late 70s. Crichton had long worked with John Cleese making industrial-slash-business films in the 70s and 80s, so he was a logical person for Cleese to turn to when they made Wanda. In addition to directing the film, Crichton also co-wrote the screenplay with Cleese. The film was written by T.E.B. Clark and is one of three Oscar-nominated screenplays that he wrote, but the only one that won. Clark tells the story that in order to try and figure out how to rob the Bank of England, he simply went there and asked. Once they found out that he was a screenwriter, they actually helped him and gave him the logistics of how to do the heist. Although Alec Guinness is now one of the most honored actors in film history, the Ealing comedies are where he got his first big notices. That started with the aforementioned Kind Hearts and Coronets, which you may know as the film where he played eight different characters, and then this film, which got him an Oscar nomination. The same year, he made The Man in the White Suit, also for Ealing, and a few years later, The Lady Killers. Soon after that, it was Bridge on the River Kwai, Lawrence of Arabia, and so on, and so on. Stanley Holloway had been a longtime actor on stage and screen when he made this film. He even once performed on stage with Alec Guinness prior to this film in Hamlet, where he played one of the gravediggers as Guinness played the prince. Holloway also played the gravedigger in Laurence Olivier's famous 1948 film version of Hamlet. Hamlet these days may be best remembered for playing Eliza Doolittle's father in My Fair Lady, for which he received an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor.
Given his long history in British comedy, people may be surprised to learn that this was Sid James's first comedy. After coming from South Africa, he had been in minor roles up until then. After this, of course, he went on to make many films, including the Carry On series and a number of sitcoms in the 1970s and 80s. Alfie Bass went on to have a long career in film and television, including parts in both a Pink Panther film and a James Bond film. Speaking of Bond, you probably missed it, but one of the policemen at the open house at the end of the film is a young Robert Shaw, who of course would go on to become the bad guy in From Russia With Love, Jaws, and a film that we may just feature on a future episode of the podcast, The Sting. As you may have noticed watching the film, quite a bit of it was filmed on location, both around various parts of London and in Paris. That kind of location filming had been a hallmark of Ealing Studios, especially during and after the war. Contemporary reviewers would probably be amazed of just how much open space there is in London, particularly during the car chase, as Holland and Pendlebury try and evade the police cars and their newfangled radio broadcast system. Part of that is due to London still being rebuilt after the war, and part of that is just 70 years of urban sprawl. There's a short film online that you can watch, made by The Guardian, where a host and a historian do a bicycle tour around the city, showing various spots where the filming was done. Of course, they weren't allowed to actually film inside the Bank of England, but you do get a number of exterior shots of characters walking by. As mentioned, the film won an Oscar for Best Story and Screenplay, and got a Best Actor nomination, but it also won a BAFTA for Best British Film that year, beating out, amongst others, The Man in the White Suit, its Ealing stablemate, also starring Guinness. You may wonder if Guinness won the BAFTA for Best Actor. Well, he didn't, only because that award did not exist yet. As a bonus to this episode, I want to give a quick shout out to the recently released video game Card Shark. Developed by Nereal Games and artist Nikolai Trashinsky, Card Shark is a game that's all about the con and grifting set in pre-revolutionary France. You play as a peasant rescued from dubious circumstances by a mysterious count who takes you on as his assistant and teaches you the ways of card cheating all the while investigating some kind of plot involving the king. I've been waiting for this game to come out for a few years, since it was first announced around the time of lockdown in 2020, and it was well worth the wait. If you're a fan of Ricky Jay or David Mamet films, this game is right up your alley. It's available on PC and the Nintendo Switch. I'm hoping to get someone involved in making the game on the Winter Palace podcast, and if we do, I'll be sure to mention it here. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen to the other programs on the When It Was Cool Network. Let us know in the comments about the show or anything you may want us to see discussed on a future episode.